0: Welcome to In The Queue: Film Conversations with Andrew and Phil. I'm your host, Andrew, and watching this movie for what I would say is probably the first time in at least 10 years.
1: Whoa.
0: Yeah, I I was taken back, man, to my early days of uh, learning about film. It, it just like brought me straight back there. It was kind of funky.
1: Yeah. Um, this is Phil, your other co-host, and... The piece of advice that Wizard gives Travis Speckle in this film is something that I've returned to many a time over the years. Even when I hadn't seen the film for a number of years, that piece of advice always stays with me. And sometimes it's true, sometimes it isn't, but it's always in the back of my mind.
0: Would you like to share that piece of advice with
1: our audience? Well, I'm paraphrasing here the great words of Paul Schrader, but um, basically Wizard says... That uh, when a man takes a job, that becomes what he is, and Ooh. and that's just that's that's his identity. And uh, Travis Bickle is indeed a taxi driver, uh, but I feel like that type of you know label you put on yourself is really limiting. But at sometimes it it seems appropriate. Yeah, it's tricky.
0: Yeah yeah we're getting deep real early in this
1: podcast (laughs) zero to ten uh
0: in case you hadn't guessed by what uh phil was saying he said it outright in fact uh the words taxi driver that's the film that we're reviewing today uh it is a listener request from eric who is with us live on the show eric say hi to everybody if you would hey how are you all right hey (laughs) hey hey um Before we get into the conversation about the film and before I I ask you, Eric, exactly why it is that you recommended this, uh, although I can think of a multitude of reasons that this would be a great recommendation, uh, (laughs) um, I'll tell you how to find us on the web. First, you can find us by going to our website. Uh, It's our blog where we post all of the various different episodes. That's www.in-the-q. That's the letter q.com. And as I said there, you can find all our postings and you can also leave comments in the comments section. Mm -hmm. Those can be comments about the podcast itself or you can uh, suggest movies that you would like to come on the show and talk about. And we do ask that you come on the show if you make a recommendation uh, because we'd love to have you on the show. Uh, Secondly, you can go to our Facebook page by going onto Facebook and searching for In The Q, Q Q-U-E-U-E, Film Conversations with Andrew and Phil, and you can like our page there, and then everything that we post will show up in your news feed, and you can also leave comments on that page, and those comments will be uh, filtered in exactly the same way as the comments on our blog.
1: Mm -hmm. Uh,
0: You can also find us on Twitter, uh, and our handle there is at itq podcast you can engage us in conversation on twitter we'd be happy to uh tweet back at you if you got something to say about what we're talking about or just about anything movie related Uh, we're happy to talk about it and finally you can go to itunes and search for in the q q u e u e film conversations with andrew and phil and you can subscribe to the podcast and have every single episode sent straight to you
1: Mm -hmm.
0: yep That pretty much covers it, so without any further ado, let's talk about the classic Martin Scorsese film, Taxi Driver, from 1976, uh, made him into a force to be reckoned with. Uh, uh, Not that he wasn't already, but uh, this was really sort of, I guess, his sort of coming out film. Mm -hmm. And uh, same thing with Robert De Niro. Um, This is sort of a star-making turn for Robert De Niro, even though he had also done a great deal of work before this. Um, Eric, tell us a little bit about why it is you recommended this film for us to talk about today.
2: I just feel like to me, it's one of the, um, it's one of the movies that I always go back to, um, and I rewatch and I find something different with it every time. Mm -hmm. It always gives me different Mm -hmm. feelings every time I watch it. And, um, one of the things that I realized, like, I don't remember the first time I watched it, but I remember the first time I watched it and it meant something to me. Um, mm. it, and every time I watch it, there's it, something new. It, um, the first few times I, uh, I'd see it, I'd see the way the camera was moving, and that was impressive, or the music, which is underrated in this movie. If you go back and watch it, <laughs> oh, yeah, the, sure. the, the music really sets the tone for the entire movie. And, and it, it may be the most music I've heard in a non-musical um, movie. If you go back and listen, it, it's playing through about seventy-five to eighty percent of the movie, and you don't even yeah. notice it because it's it's the background. It's a character, mm-hmm. um, or just dialogue, or uh, anything. And so to me, it, it, and honestly, recommending the movie and then knowing I'd have to come on and talk about it is intimidating <laughs> to me because it means <laughs> it, it means so much to me that no matter what I say, I won't do I won't do the movie justice. You know what I mean?
1: Well, well, sure. Yeah, I mean, we we face that problem <laughs> weekly. Uh, I mean, but you know, one thing about the music that's that really blew my mind. The there's a variation on the the main theme for Taxi Driver by Bernard Herrmann, who's actually a legendary film composer, and this oh, yeah. was his last score. He died actually right when it was completed. But oh, yeah. um, there's a variation that's on the soundtrack uh, CD, which I actually own, uh, and. That variation became the theme song for Zach Galifianakis's Between Two Ferns oh, really? uh, internet show. Oh. Yeah, it's the it's the cheesy like disco version of the main theme, with that yeah. kind of like jazzy saxophone. Uh, yeah, listen for it next time; you'll recognize it.
0: Oh, that's crazy! That's wacky. Um, yeah, I'm I'm glad, Eric, that you said that uh, the film means something different to you every time or that you find new things in it. Because as I said, I haven't watched this film in at least a decade and I don't really know why. It's just one of those ones that I kind of drifted away from, you know, like I have it in my collection and I've watched it probably at least five or six times in my life, but I had just, you know, you know, taste changed. I I moved on to other things. I, I've, you know, I sort of am on this relentless pursuit to see every movie ever made. And you know, of course, we'll never actually complete that. Yeah, task. how's that coming, by the way? Uh, it's not. It's not going too well.
1: <laughs> they keep making more. <laughs> um,
0: but, uh, but it was, it was fascinating for me to watch it this time because I, I felt very differently about it, and it made me feel different things this time watching it than in previous times that I had watched it. But before we get into that, uh, kind of. Uh, discussion about, about how it made us feel or, or what kind of thoughts and what kind of things we discovered as we watched it. Uh, for those who have not seen it in the audience, uh, I just want to give a brief synopsis so they kind of know what it's about. It is about its titular character, a taxi driver by the name of Travis Bickle, who uh, is disaffected and kind of uh, adrift in the world. Um, he doesn't. He's driving around the streets of New York and uh sees the city as a sort of den of It's a pre, sleaze pre-Giuliani and pre Giuliani hellhole. Yeah yeah, it's a pre Giuliani hellhole. It, it, yeah, it is I think I think uh, uh the year after this year, this movie came out was the year that the the Bronx burned down and and the the summer of sam and like it was all around this time yeah. right late 70s yeah 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 late 70s which was kind of the where most people perceive as like the low point that new york hit before it kind of or the high point depending on your yeah. Well, I, yes.
2: think, I think that shaped my my opinion of new york before i had ever gone and then as, yeah, as yeah, an adult sure. i go to new york and i walk around I'm like where we're all where is it all <laughs> yeah, exactly. you know, yeah it happened like, it's still there uh, in some places i can find it uh, in certain places but it did shape my opinion of what I thought New York would be.
0: Well, yeah, and it certainly, you know, living in New York, it certainly doesn't have that that kind of pervasive, you know, that all pervasive uh, dread and <laughs> and and you know stench and stickiness to it that it seems to have in this film, you know. Um, but Travis Bickle is, um, he he sort of over time begins to sort of see himself as kind of an avenging angel who is here to. Clean up the the streets of New York. He falls in love with a young lady who is working uh, to get a senator elected to president. Uh, that relationship goes a little bit awry, and it kind of uh, sends him on this I don't know, I don't know, downward spiral. It's a downward spiral. It's like, a, it's like sort of a, a, a mental rabbit hole that just goes deeper and deeper and deeper, and he never... Yeah, you
1: know, some people actually want to diagnose Travis Bickle with, like, a, a real mental illness, but I just sort of see, think that's a fruitless exercise, you know? I, yeah, I agree. He's a character, just as a character in a book would sort of be, would stand for many different things, and not just, he's not, like, an attempt to create a, you know, realistic three-dimensional human being.
0: Yeah, he he's he's an archetype of sorts, I guess, but he is uh I mean he's he's a loathsome character
1: to be sure, but uh I don't know, he's, it's but inter- there's things to like about him. I mean, well, the, th- well, the thing that makes you like him is the whole uh, sort of last third of the movie when he tries to save this young girl from a life of prostitution. And you know, you, yeah, it's kind of charming to see how you know he's so horrified and disgusted by all these things that she takes for granted as part of her job he seems like more like the child in the relationship because he just can't believe that there are all these unsavory things are going on um, but of course once we get to that point though there's been plenty of other things that he's done that make him really reprehensible like his fascination with guns Um and uh, his very unhealthy attitude towards this girl who spurned his affections. <laughs> yeah, yeah.
2: Well, that's what's well, fantastic about the movie is yeah. um, at the end, you know, the fact that there are things you can like about him. Yeah. Uh, but really, it's just a matter of coincidence, you know, how he, he ends up a hero at the end of the movie. And he ends up likable because the other the other hor- horrible plan goes awry. Mm-hmm. His assassination attempt doesn't work. And then because of that circumstance, he's a hero, which is it's it's a it's a two minute swing from <laughs> literally two minutes from, you know, uh, evil assassin to the hero.
1: And it is quite a swing. And more than once when I've seen this movie, have I questioned whether the ending of this movie is actually real and, and actually happened. In the world oh, and outside of too. travis's own mind me too so and they leave it kind of ambiguous i feel
2: yeah and you know it's that that flash and the the that look and it's so quick in the, the rearview mirror just it's yeah a snap, and, then that re- and then it's over the sound and of it, that it,
1: reverse like
2: yeah e- and it, make, it makes me yeah. wonder if i saw it which is how, why it's
1: fantastic it's yeah, it's, it's perfectly done yeah yeah yeah. Well, sorry we kind of hijacked the description of the film. Yes.
0: <laughs> no, no, no. I I mean I I didn't have a whole lot more to say about it other than the fact it's, that he, yeah. he I mean, you know, he falls in love with a woman, he's spurned by her, and then he sees himself as this avenge, avenging angel who can uh save this young prostitute played by Jodie Foster from a life of Hellish existence, essentially,
2: mm-hmm.
0: or what he perceives as a hellish existence. And
2: I, that's another thing that stood out is to me is uh, how amazing the two relationships, uh, the women in, in the movie.
1: Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm.
2: He so so much trying to protect uh, Iris, Jodie Foster's character, mm-hmm. but going out on a date with Civil Shepherd and taking her to the the adult movie theater, and mm-hmm. in his mind, never realizing that that was a horrible thing to do. He really is convinced that this is a thing that couples do. And
1: but yeah, yeah. And so just he, he, to yeah. see how his mind is working. That that doesn't work in real life either. Uh, <laughs> I just wanted to...
0: Well, the funny thing is that when I was watching it this time, I, I hadn't noticed this before, I guess, but when they're in the theater, there are other couples there together. And when in he the says
2: it, when he says it, there are couples walking out and he's like, I see him all the time. And then there are couples walking out of the theater yeah. and then couples in the theater. So, I mean, well, yeah, his,
0: he was right. His, his whole existence is, you know, I mean, he's, he's sort of got a childish mind. He doesn't have, he's not able to really analyze things or or be particularly introspective. And I think that he, I, I always saw that as like a very wonderful and touching moment in the film when he, he seems so hurt and confused by the fact that she got offended by the movie,
1: mm-hmm.
0: you know, the, the movie, a porn theater in, in times square, you know?
1: sweet Susan. Yeah.
0: yeah. Actually, film. I don't think, I don't think that's the movie that they were seeing because,
1: Oh, they saw the, the,
0: the uh, his Swedish marriage manual. Yes,
1: yes, yes. <laughs> <laughs>
0: Which I think because it's in Swedish and because I I, and that's another thing I only noticed this time because sometimes Sweet Susan is all over the marquee, right? But then over in the corner it's like Swedish Marriage Manual.
1: Yeah, that's why she was Um, mad. She wanted to see Sometimes Sweet Susan. That's right. The wrong movie.
0: (laughs) Exactly. Um, But I I I think it's interesting because uh, this time watching the film uh that move that that moment in the film didn't seem quite as sad to me it seemed uh i mean it still it still had sort of a an, an air of uh poignancy to it but uh that and beyond in the film i just i i had a much different opinion from Tra- of travis Bickle this time around than I had before, and i don't know that i actually i don't know that i i saw him as becoming a hero yeah. This time around, like a like a not not a hero in the Greek sense, but like a hero is in somebody who does good in the world.
2: I don't think I ever I think, saw him as a hero at all. It, it was always just that uh, projection in the movie when the the parents write him that letter and all that. Mm-hmm. Did, had you seen him yeah, as a yeah. hero previous to that? To this
0: previous to the to the letter, you mean? Well, no, like while watching the film. To
2: watching it this time, um, did you? Take yeah. It, yeah?
0: Yeah, I when I had watched it before, and maybe this was just a, a symptom of being in my teens and my early twenties. It it had seemed to me that uh, that like he had done good and he had righted a wrong, and I saw uh, Harvey Keitel's pimp character as being like you know an embodiment of evil, and you know, uh, and and I guess the one of the things that shocked me watching it this time, and I don't know why it did because I knew it was. Happening was the the speed, you know. As you said, two minutes between when he t- he's he's trying to have take a hit, you know. He's trying to perform a an assassination on this senator, who by he's sort of like by proxy related to this woman who spurned him, and so he thinks if he can hurt senator, he hurts her, kind of a thing. Um, but the the fact that he just immediately turns around and he's just like so, I guess filled with that bloodlust that he yeah. had that he needs to fulfill himself and to me this time watching it i was actually kind of disgusted by it i was like this this guy's really messed up
1: well yeah. geez i mean you, you never felt that way before about taxi driver I, mean, I, I did i
0: did but at the same time i always thought that the way that it concluded was uh was good poetic. yeah that the, these guys were getting their just desserts these I... these Pimps and and you know low life bad low life. who are...
2: I can definitely see that perspective uh there I mean he's a, he's a vigilante at, at the end of the day and you know we yeah. give up kind of you know uh all the great characters are vigilantes uh, and so well a lot of vigilantes are great characters mm-hmm. so you know Oh yeah Yeah I don't what I always uh forgot was how early in the film he commits a, his first murder uh, in the convenience yeah. store, mm-hmm.
0: I, and how cold he is about it. I how
2: totally. So, well, and how cool the the, the shopkeep was too. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, I was yeah, like, yeah, I got Robar. it. <laughs> <laughs> I was like, yeah, no biggie. Just go. Uh, uh, but I, I had he shoots to, that uh, guy in the face. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I just, in in the face. Yeah.
1: yeah, he's pretty cold blooded about it. But I, I always felt like he came out the better man in that scene when compared with the the shopkeeper who. Props up the corpse to beat it with a crowbar some more. Um,
2: well, yeah, I mean it's it's pretty easy to be the better man in in that scenario when you're compared
1: to that guy. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, definitely. But yeah, but yeah. it goes to show you, like, I feel like uh, all these events that are written sort of leading up to Travis's attempt to self-actualize by committing this murder, um, the things that happen are like just shy of being too horrible so that you would stop being interested in Travis. Like I feel like there's you know like all these different things happen but it's never so extreme that we give up on Travis as a character sure. that we want to watch. Yeah. And in a way Travis was doing the right thing by shooting that guy in the convenience store because he was holding up the convenience store. He was actually it was he was using his own thirst for violence and and using his guns as a way to quote unquote do good. And so in a way, it was actually, he was rewarded for doing the right thing, even though he was yeah. kind of, he maybe got some satisfaction in the wrong way from doing it.
0: Yeah. Well, but as, as, as I said, like, I, I felt like I felt almost queasy in that, in that scene. Oh yeah. Which, which I never, I never really remember feeling that way before watching the film. And I think older, it may have to do
1: with, getting older, I think more that's exactly what it is. Yeah.
0: Well, it has to do with getting older and more sensitive, but also, uh, just sort of having a sense of the world, like a, a moral sense of the world that I think is different from how I may have felt in my, my teenage years or my early twenties, where I I it, it kind of I sort of found myself thinking, you know, who are you to be yeah. the person carrying out this sentence? Like you, you can't decide. That's not what you're like we can't live in a society like this.
1: <laughs> right, yeah. And and that's why he moved to New York City to write that wrong. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that's right. <laughs> well, I mean, but regardless, it's a it's a outstanding movie. Uh, oh, yeah, on all I mean, accounts. I mean,
2: well, that's what's great about it is if you can have those feelings and and realize that you've grown, uh, and your opinion of the movie has changed with time. I, I really, when I I was saying earlier, I don't remember the first time I watched it. I remember it just being a movie, and then later on. I, every couple of years, I have different feelings about it, and that, and I yeah. think that's, uh, I think that speaks a lot that it's just it's not still just a movie. It's mm-hmm. it's constantly uh, letting me see that my opinions have changed mm-hmm. over time. Which is, yeah, I appreciate.
1: And I actually was really impressed that the the filmmakers Paul Schrader and and Scorsese, um, they they are clearly not sick individuals because they understand the different worlds of all the characters like they understand Travis's violent obsession but they also understand the the humorous sort of like offbeat camaraderie among the other cabbies who gather in the, the diner oh, yeah. and the conversations they have and they understand the the mundane jokes that the campaign workers have with one another. It it's it could be more different from the world of Travis Bickle, but the film is not like a, a totally one-sided depiction of 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 you know mental illness. But because we see we see what other people in the city are doing at the time, we see other perspectives, and I thought that was a really good kind of overall um, you know sort of view of of the, of things. Yeah,
0: absolutely, and I think that I think that the uh, the film itself. I mean, I mean, the screenplay in particular is just so good. I mean, Paul Schrader is, I mean, he's a great screenwriter in general. He's written a number of great films, but this film in particular. I mean, it's just such a well done screenplay. It's such a such a rich screenplay, and uh, and I paid a lot of attention this time watching it to the voiceovers that Travis. Bickle has in this film. And, uh, you know, he's sort of almost kind of writing his memoir as you go along. And there's this wonderful kind of the delivery of it is this sort of like strange sort of half wit monotone kind of, it's this the way that it's written and the way that it's performed by De Niro is so incredibly, uh, in the same way that you were you were talking earlier, Eric, about the music setting the tone for the film, I, I feel like the, these voiceovers, like really, almost more than anything that you see <laughs> Travis do, set the tone for his character mm-hmm. and how he behaves in the film. Yeah, yeah,
2: that's that's the uh, stood out to me as well. And what I noted was the tone, and also it, it just it felt like he was saying it. And thinking it for the first time, which uh, yes, just yeah. to speak to the the acting that he was doing. Um, I, I, I always, whenever I watch the movie, I always watch a lot of the special features as well. And um, uh, there's a there's a moment when Paul Schrader is telling a story about De Niro calling him because Paul Schrader didn't want to be on set. He said when, he was done writing it. He
1: mm-hmm. felt
2: good about it. The screenplay was good. Let them do what they do now. And, uh, De Niro called and said, do you think Travis would say this? And he's, and, and Paul said, you know, you're in his boots standing right next to Martin Scorsese filming this movie in that where you are. He said, if you think he would say it, then you're probably right. And, and I just, I love that he trusted him. It, that's what he said. He said, uh, uh, you know, when you have a good actor who's picked for a role, um, you can trust that when he goes off script, he's going to go where you would have went anyhow. And I I just feel like there was so much of that mm-hmm. in this movie.
1: Yeah, I've also uh, read and heard stories about how, um, you know, that this sort of triumvirate of De Niro, Schrader, and Scorsese, they were all on exactly the same page when mm-hmm. they made this movie. And they were all like thinking with the same brain and a lot of people who sort of talk about the greatness of taxi driver will say that it announced the arrival of those three guys to the the film scene and it's almost like we to me that statement says you know we may not see a lot of redeeming value in this movie but the significance for us is that it announced that these three guys were were on the scene, and they had a lot of provocative things to say, and they were talented.
2: Yeah, I, uh, yeah. The, the other thing that this movie always does is it makes me go watch Raging Bull," uh, which I'm <laughs> going to watch tonight now.
0: <laughs> <laughs> very nice, very nice. Yeah, that, that was four, only four years after this, yeah yeah. Um, and they I mean, both films were highly critically lauded. Um, and, of course, there's the great controversy about ordinary people winning over Raging Bull and all the people who hate Robert Redford for that. Yeah, yeah. Um,
1: they should hate the Academy. There's this whole new reason to hate the Academy, guys. thought like, <laughs> <laughs> lot was over, but there's still more. <laughs> there's always reasons. Every year there's you reasons to hate Robert the Academy. Redford. I mean, he's just doing his job. Yeah, yeah.
0: yeah. Um, but, yeah, I mean, this film is a seminal... Film historical work. Uh, I mean, I think that. Uh, well, I mean, one of the shocking things about it, or one of the Im- amazing things about it, was uh, I, I don't know if it presaged the level of violence that we've seen in films since, but it's an extraordinarily violent film.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Um, I mean, not throughout, but when the violence does come, it's very shocking and it's very graphic. Yeah. Uh, and that was, you know, that was another thing that actually surprised me watching this film again. There's a there's a particular shot towards the end when he shoots this guy in the hand and they, and the stabs stabs with a 44... Him. No, he oh, shoots right. him first. This is the yeah,
2: different guy. He sh- no, he stabs at the same guy a little little later on I think.
1: Too. That's yeah, right. Yeah. He, crawls, he crawls up
0: the stairs behind him and then he has to stab him in that. So he just messes up both this guy's hands. But... <laughs> Uh, it's 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 such a shocking moment of like extraordinary violence,
1: yeah.
0: Um, or even even the moment when he actually attacks Harvey Keitel,
1: yeah,
0: uh, is just like it's it's so real and you know like he can't get his gun out of his pocket. He's like, there's so much. There, uh, there's a really there's great just...
1: there's a really good parody of of the scene where um, De Niro shoots Sport uh, in the movie Eating Raoul, which is this. Like cult comedy from the eighties, where yeah. um, uh, the plot of, of that movie I'll just briefly say is they they kill swingers and then steal their money. So this couple uh, they lure them to their apartment for sex and then steal them and kill them and take their money. And there's a scene where there's all these like na- naked swingers in this jacuzzi and they're all like, "Hey, come on in, come on in!" And then <laughs> Paul Bartel, the one of the killers, picks up like a like an insect uh, a lamp. And goes swing on this and throws it in the hot tub, and then they all get electrocuted. <laughs> but um, you know, one, one thing that blows my mind about the the violent sort of conclusion of Taxi Driver, you may notice that it's a little bit more washed out, more desaturated. Yeah, yeah. Uh, And somebody actually had the idea that they could avoid an X rating if they just drained the color out of that one scene.
2: It was Scorsese. He had it desaturated. Uh, to yeah. make it less, make the red not so bright. Right, and it went from uh, an X to an R, I think. Yeah, yeah,
1: yeah,
0: yeah. Well, that's I, that's actually a funny little thing because if you've noticed in recent years, I'd say probably the last maybe two to three years, uh, advertisements, especially for horror films, uh, trailers for horror films that show on television or on the internet, they'll actually show scenes from the movies of extreme violence, but they have changed the color of the blood to brown or to black, Mm -hmm. but they'll still show it. So it's almost unrecognizable in the couple of seconds or even less that you'll see it in the trailer. But I've, I've watched a number of trailers where in order to, I guess, be able to show you some of the horror of the, the movie or get you into like the idea that there's going to be a lot of gore, but without it being red. a Carrie was a good example. The remake of Carrie that they did with, uh, right. Chloe Grace Moritz, everything in that, that trailer was Brown. Yeah. All of the, all of the blood and all of the, everything was Brown, but in the actual movie itself, it's blood red.
1: Right. So we have uh Martin Scorsese to thank for that. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Indeed. Indeed.
0: um, yeah, it's it, Taxi Driver is a great film. If you haven't seen it, uh, I think you owe it to yourself to see it. Uh, it's it, easily okay. one of Scorsese's best. Yeah, yeah. Uh, no.
2: one, one quick thing before you go Phil, you had mentioned yeah. earlier uh, about the final scene being um, a fantasy. Right. And I kind of, uh, I've heard things in the past about the whole ending kind of being a fantasy yeah. Uh, yeah. That, that, he, that Bickle actually dies in the shootout. And then the thank you letter from the from the parents and um, everything from that point forward. Him dying a hero is actually his fantasy. Any thoughts about that?
1: I think it's a perfectly valid and really interesting interpretation to make. Uh, I I I think it makes total sense because just the otherworldliness of how Betsy is photographed through that rearview mirror in the cab, and just how everything. Seems so unreal, especially uh, considering what we just saw. Uh, I, I'm a big fan of of endings that take place in the mind of the protagonist. Yeah. Um, there's Fortnite. a really there's a really good short film called "An Occurrence at Owl Creek Bridge," yeah, which yeah. is all about the final dying moments of this one guy who's being hung during the Civil War, and um, it's the beauty of film, the beauty of the cinema, which is a term that not a lot of people use, unfortunately, these days. But the beauty of it is that time can be eclipsed. It can be stretched and shortened. um, Memory and dream, it it can all be one big sort of soup. And so I totally buy that interpretation. But I, I don't know if it's The interpretation that the filmmakers intended but i can definitely get satisfaction from that as being an explanation
2: well what made me uh kind of go that route was uh what you had said earlier about uh, the narration about bickle's narration when he starts reading from the parents it's got that same tone to me it's like it could have been something Mm -hmm. straight from his head too like what he had been wanting to hear
1: i remember the first time i saw this movie I was outraged by the ending. I was like, this makes no sense whatsoever. He should be dead. He (laughs) shouldn't be hero. He just killed all these people. This makes zero sense. So for it to be uh, the dying thoughts of Travis Spickle makes sense to me. I mean, that makes sense.
0: Yeah. Fascinating, fascinating interpretation. And I don't think that that's not the kind of thing that I think the filmmakers would necessarily clarify. They'd probably rather leave that, ambiguous i've never read anything of them clarifying the ending of the film yeah
1: Yeah, they
0: shouldn't yeah no it's like uh it's like uh stanley kubrick in 2001 you know (laughs) exactly (laughs) which is which is one of my films eric that that i can return to time and again and i always find something new in it you know like i am always like oh man yeah there's something i haven't thought about before good stuff good stuff all around um, well, as I said, uh, Taxi Driver, uh, classic film, great film, uh, one of Scorsese's best to this day, uh, really acting tour de force by De Niro and by all the actors in the oh, film, yeah, actually. Definitely. I think everybody turns in a great performance. Um, and uh, just just all around fantastic film. So uh, I think all of us would recommend, you, you guys would recommend it, I'm sure. Yeah, it's all right. Uh, <laughs> yeah,
1: well, it's, it's pretty okay. good. If you, you know. <laughs> If uh, the O network isn't on, you know, <laughs> turn on Taxi Driver. Yeah, same thing. Yeah, yeah,
0: it's,
2: yeah. it's no Taxi with Queen Latifah. <laughs> that's
1: right. You can't watch well, Taxi, settle for Taxi Driver. That's, that's right, that's
0: right. Uh, thank you, Eric, for coming on the show. Uh, it was a pleasure to talk to you about this film.
2: Thanks, Rob. Uh, yeah. I'm glad
0: that you recommended it as well, because I don't know how long it would have been for me to just sort of sit around and not get around to watching it again. <laughs> Um, so this kind of forced me to do that and uh, uh, that was really great so uh, thanks again for being on the show uh, that was our podcast about the Martin Scorsese film Taxi Driver and we hope that you will join us for our next episode when we will be talking about the animated film Anomalisa written by Charlie Kaufman Indeed, uh, looks like an interesting fight of fancy for uh, the enigmatic screenwriter uh, and some something new from him, so uh, we hope you'll join us for that, and we'll catch you next time.